You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. <clears throat> this week's Parsha, as you know, or Parshios, as you know, is Parshas Tazria and Mitzora, which deals mostly, it's not the only thing that, the only topic that the Parshios deal with, but certainly it's uh, Aruba, um, the Minkar, it's a, uh, a strong robe. There were most of the Parshas dealing with the the, uh, with the Mitzorah, with the Negat Saras, which is some type of infliction that someone gets on his body. It could even be that the Tsaras takes place and is found on one's clothing, and it could even be that the Tsaras is found on one's house. Now, you have a Pasuk in front of you. If you don't have the Maramakamas, you have, certainly have a Chumash, Vayikra Yud Gimel Gimel. The Pasuk says that when someone has some type of white blotch on their skin, so he comes to the Kohen, or maybe the Kohen comes to him, he's brought to the Kohen, and the Kohen sees the Nega. Now I want to read this Pasuk like, again, even if you don't have it in front of you, just listen to this Pasuk. Like it says, The Kohen sees this Tsaras that's on this person's skin, man or woman. And on this white blotch, imagine if you see my hand, so on the white blotch, you have this blaya, this white, very, very white area that appears on a person's wrist or on a person's arm or a person's shoulder, whatever it is, any, almost any place on the body. Not every place, but almost any place on the body you have this white blotch. And inside the white blotch, there grows two white hairs. The ser banega hafachlavan. There are two white hairs that grow out of this white uh, discoloration that is found on the person's skin. The Pasuk says, Varaha Kohen, the Kohen takes a look. And then the end of the Pasuk, the Pasuk says, Varaohu ha Kohen, that the, uh, the Kohen looks at it, Negatsarasi, Varaha So the Kohen looks at it and says that this person is now Tame. So that we've just learned something important, and that's one of the laws of, uh, of a Mitzorah, of Tsaras, is that if someone has a white discoloration on their skin, on their body, and in that white discoloration grows two white hairs, so the Kohen will come and declare the person's tummy. I think we're all aware that the halacha is that if someone is declared tummy as a mitzorah, he's sent out of the camp. He's sent out of the, not just the camp called the Machana Shechina, he's not just sent out of the camp called the Machana Levia, but he's sent out of the third camp, the Machana Yisrael. He's the only one who's sent, only person who's tummy who's sent out of all three camps, which means that he'd, be, have to, he'd have to reside outside Yerushalayim. And the truth is, I believe he'd have to reside outside every walled city. Every walled city in Eretz Yisrael, he'd have to reside. He could not dwell inside the walled city. Now, it happens to be interesting that the halacha is of this person who's a mitzorah, before the Kohen looks at him, if the white hairs do not grow out of this white discoloration, that he does not get sent out of the camp, what happens is he gets sent into quarantine. Believe it or not, we're actually talking in this week's parish about quarantine. And the halacha is that the most time that it can be sent into quarantine is two weeks. Now, I'm not suggesting anything. I just want you just, we should just think about that for a second. The most, the amount of time that a person who's a Metzorah can be sent out um, of, of his house, not sent out of Yerushalayim, but sent out whether we're trying to figure out if the person has the tsaras or he doesn't have the tsaras, whether he has to be sent out of Yerushalayim or not sent out of Yerushalayim, 
You put him to quarantine for two weeks. Two weeks. Now, the Mishnah actually does say that it's not two full weeks. It's not 14 days. It's 13 days. So maybe we have to speak to the CDC. But either way, 13 days that a person goes into quarantine. And if the Kohen, who's the spiritual doctor in our story, comes and looks at this discoloration and he sees that there are no white hairs coming out of this nega and there's no other simone tumab, which we're not discussing right now, then the person's declared tar and it can come back into the, uh, come back in. So he goes into quarantine and if it turns out that he's not tame, then he's allowed to leave the quarantine state. Very, very interesting. Now the Mesha Chachma, Rav Meir Simcha Cohen from Dvinsk, was one of the great gaonim of the last, uh, last century. He died in the 19, I think the 19, early 1930s, late 1920s. He was known in Europe during a time when there were many, many, many great Gaonim. He was known as a Gaon Sheba Gaonim. As a Gaon. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, and he was interviewed many, many times. And he used to tell the interviewers when they would ask him about the last generation and the Gaonim of the last generation, he used to... Um, he used to say that everybody knew back in Europe there were three great gedolim. Now, you have to think about that. Who were the three great gedolim in a time when the shoemakers knew Shas? Now, Rav Shechter likes to talk about how Rav Menachem Zemba in Warsaw had many Talmidim who were businessmen. These businessmen, Rav Shechter explains, I actually read a wonderful sefer that was given to me by Dr. Judah Weinberger that was written by his uncle. His uncle, the, the, the author of the Shalmei Simcha, of Simcha Elberg, wrote, it, wrote a, a sefer. And the name of the sefer is called Varsha Shalmala. And it talks about pre-World War II and pre-World War I even, the great Gaon who lived in that time in Poland and other areas of Europe. And he talks about Rav Menachem Zemba, that he had a group of Talmidim, mostly businessmen, who knew Kolatora Kula Balpeh, Shas Bavli, Shas Yerushami, Tosefta, Medrish, Mishnaya, he knew everything inside and out. And Rav Menachem Zemba was the Rebbe of these businessmen. I can imagine being the, the, the Rav of that shul. You know, when you say a drosha, what happens after the drosha? So um, it was just, it must have been a very interesting time. So Rav Menachem, during the time when there were so many great gaonim, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky said it was known that Rav Meir Simcha was the, the great, one of the three greatest gaonim of the generation. He said that the Ragged Shava was second tier. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually someone, I quoted the Rugged Shover in a, um, I quoted the Rugged Shover in a drush a few uh, months ago. And uh, the next thing I know, I'm just going to turn around for a second. The next thing I know, the next morning or the next Shabbos, this it was on my stender, the Rugged Shover gone. I quote the Rugged Shover and the next thing I know, there's a Rugged Shover on my stender. So I tried talking about a new car the next Shabbos, but nothing happened. I looked outside, there was no new car, but all right, listen, it's better to have a rugged shower than a new car, that's for sure. A new house, a new shul. It, it, so far, I'm, I'm, work, I'm working, but at least I'm getting svarim. Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. So the Arsameach lived in the same town as the rugged shower. Lived in the same town as the rugged shower. They had a very, very wonderful relationship. Now, Rav Shechter also likes to point out that the Ragged Shavu was asked Shilas from around the entire world. Everyone always sent Shilas to the Ragged Shavu, and he would send back index cards. And on the, you'd have to send them a, a Shila with a self-addressed uh, stamped envelope or index card or a postcard. And he would write back the answer to, your, to, your, to the questions. 
But the way that he would answer the Shaila was by quoting Mara Makalmus. So you can imagine someone sends a Shaila, what's the halacha about a certain, about a certain Shaila, about a certain piece of meat, about a certain halacha of Shabbos, electricity. And he would write back on the index card or on the postcard, Ayein Gemara Shabbos Daf Memalaf, Ayein Gemara Erevin Daf Nun Beis, Ayein the Tosefta over here, Ayein the Rambam, Ayein the Rishalmi. So you'd come back, you'd have 14 or 15 Mara Makamos. You'd have no idea what it was. You'd have to go to the Rav. The Rav would have to spend four weeks trying to decide what the Ragachov was talking about until he finally had an answer for the, for, the, for the person who was asking the question. So they say that the Ragachov was not one of the three greatest of the Gaonim. That's hard, that's hard to believe, but this is what's, what's brought down from Rabbi Yaakov. The Ragachov, if, if we can talk about these things, it's funny to talk about. He was number four. It's important to be in a state of simcha. I'm trying to give shiurim that are, that are making us uh, smile and laugh. So this always gives me a good laugh when I think about this. But the Rebbeir Simcha was on the top three. If you want to know who the other two was, would have, um, it was the, 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 the uh, there you go. <laughs> not so, the, the other Gedola were not as well known. There was a Sefer by the name of, uh, I think it was Rebbeir, uh, Friedman, I forgot the, the Karliner, Rav Davidul Friedman, I apologize, Rav Davidul Friedman, author of the Shelaz David, was also one of the, one of the and, and it was often assumed that the Rav Chaim Briska was uh, from the three great uh, Gaonim, of, three greatest of the Gaonim of the time, although there were many, many great Gaonim. So in addition to Rav Meir Simcha being a fantastic uh, Gaon in Lamdus, he also writes a very important saver called Mesha Chachma, which is a safer on Chumash, and he has tremendous insights. In his Sefer on Chumash, and the second Maramakam, which you may have in front of you, he wants to know the following. Why is it that the Pasuk says the word Re'iyah twice? Let's read the Pasuk again. Perikud Gimel, Pasuk Gimel, and Vayikva, the Pasuk says, Baro'aha, Kohen es nega. The Kohen sees the nega. And then if you skip a few words to the end of the Pasuk, it says, Baro'ahu Kohen, and the Kohen sees him. But he may also, and he's mitame. So what do you have to look, what's, what's looking twice? What's the idea of a ra'ah, vara'ahu? So it's a very, very beautiful thought. And the Mesha Chachma says as follows, vara'ah ha-kohen es anega, vara'ahu ha-kohen. It says vara'ah twice. I mean, it's always good to get a second opinion. But what does a kohen have to look twice just to be sure? Hakfelus mavur, the double language is obvious and clear to anyone who looks at the Pasuk. So the Meshachachma explains as follows. He writes, there are two types of re'iyo, so there are two parts to the Kohen's job before he's ready to be metame, to make this person tame. First, he has to look at the blotch on the skin. He has to see, is this white enough for it to be a nega, or is it not white enough to be a nega? If it's not white enough, if it's not snow white or plaster white or egg white, if it's lighter then the whites that are mentioned in the Torah, that Chazal explain are the whites that it has to be in order for it to be Tomei. So then uh, he's not going to be Tomei. So the first re'iyah that the Kohen has to do is on the nega itself, is on the physical discoloration, on the simani tumor, on the actual growth on the person's hand. That's the first re'iyah that the Kohen has to look at. If you take a look at the Pasuk again, it says, Veroha Kohen es ha-nega. The first thing that the Kohen has to do is look at the nega Look at the problem. Look at the discoloration. But then the Meshachachma says, there's another re'iyah that has to happen, and that's vira'ahu. 
The Pesach says the Kohen has to look at him. It's not enough just to look at the problem. Because even if you see that there's a discoloration, and it's very, very white, it's snow white, and you look at the hairs coming out, and the hairs are white as could be. That's a, that's a simintoma, as, as you could, that's the best simintoma the person really deserves to be called Tomei, and he has to leave Yerushalayim. The Pesach says, the Meshachachm explains, Pesach says, wait, not so fast. Not, don't, don't make him Tomei so fast. Now you have to look at the situation. You have to look at the environment. You have to figure out, is this the right time to say that the person is Tomei? What do you mean, is it the right time? He has a tzaras on his hand. What do you mean, is it the right time? No, no, no. There's a Mishnah that says, I believe it's in the beginning of Paragimel, Masech, Nenegayim. You take a look. The Mishnah says, and the, and the, the Meshachachah brings it down. Let's say this is a chasan, who's first, second day of Esheva of, of Brachas. And he breaks out with this thing on his hand. And you're going to say, okay, you got to go outside Yerushalayim. And he's going to miss the wedding. He's going to miss the Sheva Brachas. So the Gemara says, if it's a chasan, no lo kol You can't ruin the chasana. You can't ruin the Sheva Brachas. This is the, it's true he has something on his hand that's bad. He has a simon tumma on his hand. He has a nega, he has tzoras. He's probably a mitzora. Nope, nope. Do not declare him tummy. Not yet. Why? Because it's the wrong time. It's not the right time to say that he's tummy. The Gemara says, if a person breaks out with one of these negoyim on his hand, on his body, and it's in the middle of yomtif, he's sitting at a simchas beis shaweva. At the Orchada Shimchas Beis, where he's sitting there, he's dancing away, and then there's a big blotch on his hand with hairs coming out. You're a Kohen, you're right there, you might as well declare him Tommy right here. Gemara says, No Snimlo, call you Mos Haregel. Now he's dancing, now he's with his family. It's the wrong time to say that he's Tommy. So that's what the Omesha <clears throat> Chochma says on the sixth line. Is this the right? It's true he has something on his hand. It's true he has the negad. You should make. You should say he's tamei. No, it's the wrong time. You have to look at if, if this is the right environment. If this is the right time, is he going to be too embarrassed? Are you going to ruin his sheva brachas? Are you going to ruin his simcha? Are you going to ruin his yomtiv? If it's the wrong time. That even if he has tzoras on his hand, you're not allowed, you're not allowed to make him tummy. It could be that the Meshachachma says something that the Mishnah does not say. And this is pretty amazing. Let's say you know that if you put this person into isolation now, and it's going to be terrible for his self-esteem, it's going to be terrible for his, his emotional Cap- um, his, his emotional well-being now. This is an amazing Chiddush of the Meshach The mission doesn't say this. If you could tell by his personality that if you put him into isolation now, he's going to fall apart. Then don't look at the nega now. Don't pask him now. Don't pask him now. This is an amazing lesson of the Meshachachma. Right in the beginning of the parsha, when we're declaring this person Tameh, Meshachachma tells us that the Pasuk says, you have to look at the person twice. 
the first thing you have to do is look at the person to see if this is actually something that's tummy. Sometimes we look at something, we thought, oh, this is wrong. Well, I don't know. Let's, let's look at it again. Maybe it's not so wrong. Maybe it's not so tummy. Maybe it's, maybe it's not something that's deserving of being declared tummy. But it could be, you know what? No, nope. what this person did, it, it's tummy. What this person has on his hand, it's tummy. Definitely tzoras. The Torah says you have to look again and make sure that this is the right time to declaring that the person's tummy. It could be very often, I was just thinking today, you know, we have, uh, many of us have young children. We have sometimes older children. And we see something that, uh, that we have to maybe uh, say that they're doing wrong. We have to tell them. We think as parents sometimes that the moment we see a child doing something wrong, that it's a mitzvah d'oraisa immediately to say something. It might not be the right time. There might be people around. It might be embarrassing. It might, not, it might be that the child is not ready right now to hear it. But we think, no, we, have to, we see something wrong, we have to say it. The Pesach says not necessarily. Sometimes you have to wait. You have to see, is it the right zman, is it the right time to be able to say something? You have to judge someone, not just on what you see is right or wrong. We have to judge someone in terms of whether they're ready to hear it, whether it's going to be successful, whether it's going to be productive, or it's going to be constructive. Not every time that we see something wrong doesn't mean that we need to say it. With our own families, even sometimes with ourselves, sometimes we see something wrong in ourselves and we want to correct it, but we say, you know what? This is just not the right time. I can't, I'm in isolation now. You know, we're, we're in a diff- it's a difficult kufa, it's a difficult zman. It's, 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 it can get depressing, it can get hard, it can get lonely. There's a lot of things to correct. We have to correct some things but to start saying, I'm going to correct everything right now, it can throw us, over the, throw us over the edge. It's true, we have to know sometimes there are things that are wrong. Sometimes it's the right time to work on something. Sometimes we have to wait. Sometimes we have to wait. It's not, I can't work on everything. We can't work on every single thing. At this, at, at this, it has to be the right time. Now, of course, we can't, uh, you know, we can't push things off forever. We push things off forever, then, uh, then we'll, never get, we'll never get to that either. So obviously we have to be honest with ourselves. If we're not honest with ourselves, then for sure it's not going to, we're not going to make progress. But, um, but at the same time, it is important to remember this lesson. One, we have to know when something's wrong. But two, not every time we see something wrong, does that mean that it's the time that we have to say it immediately? You may have heard, I'm reading a very interesting biography now of the Chofetz Chaim. It's called Revered by All, written by someone probably about 50, 60 years ago by Lester Ekman, Mr. neither Mr. Lester, Mr. Ekman, or Rabbi Ekman, I'm not sure. So he tells over a mice of the Chofetz Chaim, as you know, in the late 1800s, the early to late 1800s, was a terrible, terrible, terrible time for Russian Jewry. The Jews of Russia had an absolutely horrendous Gehenim time. The, 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 the Tsar Nicholas Yemach Shemot was conscripting young Jews at a very young age, sometimes eight, seven, nine years old, sending them to Siberia. They were living with Russians for 10 years. Then they'd be conscripted into the Russian army. They would get, not get out for 30, 35 years. I'm sure that you may be aware of this. It's, it's hard to even talk about these things. I actually read a whole book. There was someone who used to live in our neighborhood who wrote a whole book on this called The Cantonists. And I, I, I have to say, I sort of regret reading that book because it's, it was such a painful and difficult book. It leaves scars. But, you know, it is important for us to read about these things, too. But sometimes you have to know what you can handle. Very, very painful. So the Chavetz Chaim was once in a hotel in Vilna. He was in a hotel in Vilna. And he saw a big husky Jew 
He was able to tell that the person was Jewish. And, you know, the, the, the person who owns the hotel feeds him some, uh, some food. And he sits down to some food. He doesn't wash his hands. He doesn't make a bracha. And he starts eating. And the Chavetz Chaim sees this. The Chavetz Chaim, in his own special way, is going to go over and tell him that he has to, you know, a Jew is supposed to wash. Is he supposed to make brachas? And the owner of the hotel comes over to the Chavetz Chaim and he says, I don't think that you should go over to this person. This person, when he was seven or eight years old, was sent to Siberia. Then he was conscripted into the Russian army for 25 years. He's, uh, he's, he's a lost cause. He's a lost cause. Chavetz Chaim went over to the person and he said, is it true what the owner of the hotel said about you? And the person said, yes, it's true. Chavetz Chaim said to him, you should know that your suffering, that what you suffered on behalf of the Jewish people, you're going to be sitting in Olam Haba with all the great Gedolim and all the great people, all the great Sadiqim, because very few people have suffered as much as you on behalf of the Jewish people. The person then realized, and he found out, someone, I guess, pointed out that that was the Chafetz Chaim that told him that. He started to cry, he started to kiss the Chafetz Chaim. person has to know how to give Musr, when to give Musr. It has to be not just that someone's doing something wrong. It has to be the right time and in the right way. Very, very important to understand. We know the Pasuk says, now the Mishnah says, You're not going to judge your friend until you're in the same position. You know what that means? It means basically you can never judge anyone because you're never in the same position as someone else. When you're in someone else's shoes, you can judge, you know. Once in a while, I try to, I go onto eBay to buy new shoes because shoes are expensive. And I, I once had a Yetzirah to buy used shoes. And I think my daughter almost, almost just for me having a habit, you, you can't buy used shoes. Who buys new shoes? No, it's, I, I didn't do it, by the way. Don't, don't get scared. I didn't buy the used shoes. But, you know, for $15, I can get a pair of shoes that otherwise would cost me $150. It's a Yetzirah. But you can't fit into someone else's shoes. You don't know what it is to be in someone else's place. So that's what it is to be able to, the Kohen has to understand the person has Tzoras. Okay. But you have to know, is it the right time and is it the right place to be giving Musr? And if it's not the right time and it's not the right place, then you have to, um, then we have to hold off this is a fantastic Chiddush. Even if a person has tzaras, if, you, if you're going to tell him and it's going to throw him over, he's not going to be able to handle it, he needs to be with friends now. He needs to be together. Then it's the wrong time. You can't, you can't say that the person has tzaras, that the person is uh, that the person is dummy. Now I have to say that the person is dummy. <clears throat> Just yesterday, I spoke to a very old friend of mine. He's not very old. He's my age. I don't consider myself very old. But an old friend of mine from about, uh, we went to elementary school together. So I know him probably for about 45, maybe 40, 43, 44 years. Unfortunately, he lost his father to the coronavirus. So I called him up to, uh, to speak to him. And we had not spoken in many, many years, many, many years. I think I met him once on a Shabbos. We spoke for a few minutes in Beth Abraham, maybe about 15 years ago. Before that, it was probably about 30 years. So I called him up. Of course, it's always, uh, you know, after, you know, Amakim Yenachem and talking about his father, we were reminiscing. And this is what he said. He says, my, this kid uh, was very, very wild. And he said about his father, he says, my father had many, many opportunities to give up on me. <laughs> and he never gave up on me. A father looks at a son, you never give up on a child. Because we, we see negative things in other people. But if we looked at each other, as a father looks at a son, as a father looks at a daughter, a mother, as, as a brother, as a sister, 
then we look at things from a very different perspective. Asha To be able to give Musr, yes, it's important. We have to know the time, the place, how to give it to learn from the Chafetz Chaim. That's one thing I wanted to talk about tonight, this idea of knowing how, when, even if something's wrong, we have to know when to talk about it, how to talk about it. <clears throat> one of the next Marmakamas that you may have in front of you is a postulate that talks about a very strange type of tsaras. It's called tsaras batim. You come home one day and uh, you, look at your, you look at your wall and there's a green, a very, it's not just green, it's very green. The word is Yurak Rak. Yurak Rak isn't green. It's like a dark green or Adam Dam. It's, it's not a red. It's not a pink. It's very red. You see this red or green blotch on your wall. Now, I don't know about you, but when we were younger, my wife and I decided that we're not going to care for about 10 years for what the kids do on the walls of the house. You know, let them do whatever they want. They're going to write on the walls and draw on the walls and do all these things. And 10 years from now, we'll paint. And that's what we did. So you may have remembered, for those of you who were at our house on Purim a few years ago, there were a lot of green and red blotches on the walls from both the kids. And at one point, we were looking at different colors. So we were, we were testing the different colors of the walls. But even if it was a dark green or a dark red, that would not be considered saras. Why is that? Because the halacha is, it's in the first pasuk, the second Pasuk in Vayika Perik, and I'm sorry, in the Maramakomas that I have in the third Maramakom, where the Pasuk says, Tsaras Batim only applies in Eretz Yisrael. Person can have the exact <clears throat> discoloration on the walls of his house, but if it's in Bergenfield or Fairlawn or West Orange or wherever you may be, in Edison, <clears throat> I see some Edison Hevra here, you, you're not going to get Tsaras on your house. It's not called Tsaras. It has to be Dafka. In Eretz Canaan. Why is that? Why is that? Why is it that specifically in Eretz Yisrael, is there a halacha or the, 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 the halacha, the halachas of Tzara's apply? Why shouldn't they, why shouldn't they apply in, uh, in Chutz Laretz? Why should they apply in Chutz Laretz? So the Pasuk says, it's bolded, When you come to Eretz Canaan, which I I gave to you as an inheritance. The Gemara in Erechen writes that Tzoras, Negoyim, which is Tzoras, comes upon a person for a multitude, for a number of different uh, averis that one may have. Of course, the most well-known is Lashon Hara. Lashon Hara absolutely has to stop, that we know. <clears throat> Thanks to the Chavetz Chaim, the world has definitely changed in the last hundred years. We're much more careful, but at the same time, we have to be more vigilant, <clears throat> especially now. We have to be much more vigilant in terms of how we speak. God forbid we should speak negatively of others. But there are other Averis as well that Lashon Hara comes as a result of those chesronos. Uh, um, and one of them is the, is the, is the midah of tsaras ayin. Tsaras ayin. What's tsaras ayin? The Kleoka writes as follows. Kleoka writes as follows. The reason why, I will explain in a moment, the reason why tsaras button specifically will only be <clears throat> a problem on the houses in Eretz Canaan 
Because in Eretz Canaan, the Klayoker explains, it's obvious and clear that that land was given to us by Hashem directly in a miraculous way. We went into Eretz Canaan, the Jordan split, the walls of Yericho fell down, the sun stopped. If a person were to think that they conquered the land themselves, it would be a pretty clear um, miscalculation. It's obvious Hashem gave us the land. 1948, come on, 19, we have to be a, a, you don't have to be a to understand that it was a miracle. 1967, these are the Yom Tovim that we're going to be celebrating in the near future next week and a few weeks after that, Yom Yerushalayim. So it's obvious that these are miracles that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us the land. There's an interesting pasuk that it says in the next pasuk in the Marmakamas that we have, it says, Ubo Asher Lo habayis, that a person comes into his house, Ubo Asher Lo habayis. the Klayakar is medayik on the words, Ubo Asher Lo habayis, which means that when a person sees their own homes and their own assets and their own money and their own all the things that they've amassed over the years, and they see that only as being for themselves and not being something that Hashem gave to them to be able to give anah and pleasure and help to others, that's where Tzoras Batim comes from. We think we own our house. Hashem says, okay, all right, here's a blotch on the house. Let's see if you learn the lesson. You don't learn the lesson? Now, look, you got to take every single thing out of the house and if that still doesn't work and we don't get the message, we knock down the house. And by the way, it's also interesting that in order for this to be a house that is subject to tsaras, the house has to be made of stone, of stones. Why stones? Because stones is the most powerful of the things that you can build a house from. When it's made out of stone, oh, that's powerful. Nothing's going to take down this house. Nothing's going to be able to break down this house. When we start to think that what we have is purely our own, and it's not that Hashem gave it to us in order to be mamahana others, of course, there are lockers of stalker. We're not allowed to give more than a certain amount. Can you imagine such a thing? <clears throat> I think it was Howard Jonas that writes in one of his books that uh, when he was uh, becoming from, he was most impressed with the halacha that he heard that a person that there's a minhag in Am Yisrael to give Meiser. One can afford, if one can afford to give Meiser, there's a minog to give Meiser. Says, so he, I, think, I think the story goes that he writes about himself, that he asked the rabbi, he asked one of them, where do, you get, where do I have to give the Meiser? Do I have to give it to the shul? Do I have to give it to... He says, no, you give it to anywhere you want. As long as you give it. You don't have to tell anyone where you're giving it to. It, 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 Hashem gave us, we have to enjoy what Hashem gave us, but we also have to remember that part of the reason that Hashem gave us, or maybe a big reason why Hashem gave us what we have, is, to be able, is in order to be able to share it, to share it with others. Not to be tsare ayin. The Afghan Eretz swell where it's clear, where it's absolutely clear that Hashem, that it's not ours. Dafka there, where a person should know better. You know this is not your house. You know this is a gift from Hashem. You have to share it with others. That's what the Klayaka writes in the fifth Maramakom. He writes, Akar Mar. The main reason why this Tsaras button is because when we're Tsare Ayin, when we're only thinking about ourselves. When a person comes into his house, when a person 
thinks that the house and everything I have in the house is mine for me. No, the opposite. Hashem gave it to you in order so that you should give it to others, in order that you should share with others, in order that we should be able to share with others. Not, God forbid, as it says, five, six, lying down. In Eretz Yisrael, ain makom ayin lomar kochi v'otsem yodi That we shouldn't get caught up in this fiction where we think that it's us that created our wealth, it's us that built the house, it's us that did this, it's us that did that. It's all a gift from Hashem, and it's our responsibility to share it with those who um, who could use who could use uh, could use the help, especially in these times. There is a very, very, very interesting medrash that I think everybody talks about this medrash. It's the famous medrash of the Rochel. It's brought down in the Maharal. It's in the medrash, but I, I, I quoted it from a Maharal. Maharal talks about this as well. It's a medrash of a Rochel, a certain peddler. Now, you understand that the word Rochel is Lashon Rochilus. Rochilus is not a good thing. We try to stay away from Rochilus. Rochilus is when... You know, behind someone's back, you're, you're talking negatively about all the bad things that the person does. That's called a rochel. So it's a mice, a rochel, but here it, it's a peddler. And he's going around from city to city, and this person starts to scream. He goes outside, he starts to scream, Man boy sam chaye. Who wants, who wants the, the, what is it, the fountain of life, the potion for life? The fountain of youth. Who wants the drug that's going to keep them living till 150 years old? Who wants that vitamin? Man boy samchai, man boy samchai. So Rabbi is, Rabbi is, is listening. He's in his house and he hears someone screaming. Man boy samchai, who wants a potion of life? So he starts running out. It's like the ice cream truck, you know comes running by, you hear the bells, you start running out, you gotta get ice cream. So here, Rabbi starts running out. Man boy, Sam Chaye. Man boy, Sam Chaye. It reminds me of a story, put this in parentheses, Chavra. Put this in parentheses. It reminds me of a story that I read in a book called Small Miracles for the Jewish Heart. It was written by two women, one by the name of Halberstam, and one by the name of, I think it was um, Leventhal, Leventhal. And I think it was Mrs. Halberstam who tells over a story that she was by a certain Hasidic Rebbe. And she and her husband went to get a bracha. And they're by this Rebbe. I forgot who the Rebbe was. It's all in the book. And uh, the Rebbe's talking to the husband about the Yichos and who, you know, they're doing Jewish geography. And then there was no one really that that connected the two. And then when the Rebbe started talking to Mrs., I think it was Yitta Halberstam, I think it was her, or maybe it was the other woman, Judith Leventhal, either one was one of the women, starts talking about her yichus. And she says she's an anical, a great, great anical of the Nadvarna Rebbe. The Nadvarna Rebbe. The Nadvarna Rebbe was known as a big Balmaifis. He didn't stop learning one second. He was always doing chasadim for the Jews, for Yidin. So he says, so the Rebbe's eyes light up. Rebbe's eyes, he goes, your great-great-grandfather is the Nadvarna Rebbe? If you have time, go Google the Nadvarna Rebbe. He goes, your, yours is the great, he goes, my great, 
Zayda was the Shamish of the Nadvarna Rebbe. So that connects us. Our families are connected. My Elta Zayda was the Shamish of your Elta Elta Zayda. So the Rebbe says to Mrs. The, the, the woman, she says, I'm going to tell you a story as a gift from the Shamish to the Rebbe. <laughs> and he says, the Nadvarna Rebbe was learning in his study and the Shamish was outside, you know, outside the room. And the Nadvarna didn't get up for anything. If there was, there was sounds outside and whatever was going on, he never left. One time there was some ruckus outside and Nadvarna says to the Shamish, can you go see what's going on outside? So the Shamish says, okay, a little strange. The rabbit never stops, but okay. He goes outside and he sees there's a certain gypsy and he's walking around with a little, like a little bear, like a, like a little circus, like a mini bear. A real, and, he, and he's uh, doing tricks with the bear. People are throwing, throwing, you know, throwing dimes and nickels in, into, his, uh, into, his, into his hat. So um, the Shamash comes back, says, Rebbe, it's nothing. You're just a gypsy with a bear. And um, you can, uh, you know, you can go back to learning. So the Rebbe says, get me my coat. We have to go outside. So the Rebbe goes outside and he's looking at the gypsy with the bear doing all the tricks. So the Shamash thinks at this point that the Rebbe has completely cracked, lost his mind. Why is he taking the time looking at a gypsy doing dances <laughs> with, a, with, a, with a bear? Very strange. Finally, he waits till everyone goes away and he goes over to the gypsy. He says, how much you want for the bear? You ever hear this, Misa? How much you want for the bear? So he goes, for the bear? He goes, yeah, I want to buy the bear. So the, 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 the Shamash thinks now for sure Something went wrong with the Rebbe. Not sure. Rebbe, are you okay? He goes, leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. Something wrong with the bear. So he goes, yeah. I goes, well, it's an old bear. It's, you know, it's probably going to die in a few years. Give me a, what we would call, let's say, a $500 and I'll be happy. So the Rebbe goes back in, gives him $500. The gypsy goes away. Once the gypsy's out of, uh, out of sight, he says to the bear, Moshala, you can stop dancing now. And the, and the bear drops dead. It just reminded me of the ice cream store with the Sam Chaye. So I figured I'd share that amazing story. Look up stories about the Nadvarna. But the problem with this story, that story makes a little bit of sense. This story, we don't understand. Man boy Sam Chaye. Man boy Sam Chaye. Rabbi Yane comes running out. He goes, I want the potion of life. I want it. So the peddler says, there's a posik that says, Mi ho'esh chayim. Oh, hey, Yomim Liros Tov, Nitzol Lashon Chamera. What does it say? Nitzol Lashon Chamera, Usvasecha Midaber Mirma. Mi Hoesh Achafetz Chaim, if you want life, Nitzol Lashon Chamera, be careful with how you speak. Be careful with how you speak. Be careful with Lashon Hara, be careful with Nibble Pan, be careful with Rachilos. Nitzol Lashon Chamera, that's Chaye. So if you take a look at the Medrash in the sixth Maramakom, it says Rabbi comes out, he brings food and drink to this peddler, he gives him money, and he says, <clears throat> you know, he's tell, he tells him about, thank you very much, listen to this. The daughter of Rabbi says to him, Dad, you didn't know this Pasuk? Abba, Tati, you didn't know this Pasuk? It's a Pasuk. 
What, what did he explain to you? So Rabbi Yana says, it's true I knew the Pasuk, this person claimed and he clarified what the Pasuk meant. So all of them, I just quoted one Sefer. The Enel Yo was Rabbi Yo Shik. He lived in the, uh, I think, late 1700s, early 1800s. Yaakov Kamenetsky, his family, Rabbi Yo Shik. I think he goes back to the Maram Shik, who was a Talmud Muvuk of the Chsam Sofer. Elio asked the following question. What did the Rochel add? He didn't add anything. He didn't say anything. He quoted a Pasuk. Because, oh, he came, he, he clarified the Pasuk. What clarified? It's like, it's, it's like me telling you, gracious, moral, kemish, my Oh, now I understand the first Pasuk. What first Pasuk? What's the first Pasuk? What, what did he say? What did he add to the Pasuk? He didn't add anything. So there are many, many answers given to this, to this question. I'll tell you two answers and we'll end with this. We'll go into Shabbos with this. <clears throat> two answers. One answer I heard from Rav Moshe Weinberg and my Rebbe many years ago, probably about 15 years ago, where he explained as follows. See, <clears throat> what's different about this story is Rabbi Yana learned this story. He learns this puzzle very, very well. But this time, who was saying the story? The Rochel. You know who the Rochel is? The Rochel was not a good guy. The Rochel was the guy who was the biggest Baal Lashon Hara around. He was the Rochel. The Rochel is known, Rashi says in the Chumash, that the Rochel is the person who used to go from town to town and spread the rumor and say the negative stuff. That's the Rochel. And when Rabbi Yanai sees that it's Dafka the person who was so negative, who was so, who was, he was the one who caused so much damage. And he, not, not the Tzaddik, the person who was the biggest Baal Lashon Hara is now the one to teach people how terrible it is to say Lashon Hara. That was the Chiddush of the Rochel. Rabbi Yannai knew this puzzle, but that someone who was the biggest Baal Lashon, that someone who's the Rochel, can come around and teach people that if you want to live life, you have to stop saying negative things. You have to be Nitzol Shon Chamerah. That was the big Chiddush that Rabbi Yannai learned that day. It's that... Everyone, not just everyone, the people who are, sometimes it's the person who's the most at, at fault for doing the negative things, for saying the negative things, for doing, for saying the Lashon Hora, sometimes it's Dafka him. It's Dafka the Balchuva who can accomplish so much more than, than the FFBs. Because the Balchuva, when the Balchuva turns around, and of course, it doesn't mean the Balchuva, Dafka, the person who's coming from San Antonio or Mid-America and never knew that he was Jewish until yesterday. Talking about each one of us, that we were once the person who was always saying Lashon Hara. And now we go back to our friends and say, you know what? It's enough. I'm done with this. And they look at you and they say, come on, you've always been saying, you're going to stop. No. Dafka, that person is much more capable, much more Kayach than the Rebbe. The Rebbe, the Rav says something. The Rebbe says something. You know, yeah, it's the Rav. What do you expect? The Rav, you know. Of course the Rav's going to say, don't say Lashon Hara. But when one of the Chevra, who used to say Lashon Hara, God forbid, I don't think, hopefully no one says Lashon Hara, but one of the Bali Lashon Hara, that Chevra, that, and he goes back to his Chevra and says, we're not going to say Lashon Hara anymore. It's wrong. And the whole Chevra changes because of the wrong person. The Rav has no Kayach there. But one of the, the Rochel has the Kayach. And Rabbi Yannick learned, wow, the Rochel can turn around and he too can be the one to teach the world about Man Boy Samchaye. That's what Rabbi Yannick learned that day. 
But the second thing that I saw in some svarim is as follows. And maybe the most simple answer is as follows. Very often we think that when it says, you know what that means? That means Olam Haba. You want Olam Haba, don't say Lashon Hara. <clears throat> you want Olam Haba, don't, you want, you know, Olam HaMS, 120 years, Schar Nitzchi, Shechina, all the things, the, the, the Bezdin Shalmal, all the Yeshiva, all the things that happen after 120. If you want those things, don't say Lashon Hara. The, the, the role, that's what Abiyana used to think. The Rochel comes around and says as follows. I know because I used to be a Baal Lashon Hara. My life is better down here. Forget about up there. Forget about after 120. What was learned that day is that life down here, Olam Hazah, this world is so much better when we talk positively than when we talk negatively. You talk negatively, no one wants, you think people want to be around you when you're talking negative. No one's interested. They're just listening because they no, it's like, it's very often, it's like talking in shul. People talk in shul. 95% of the people do not want to talk in shul. 98, no one wants to talk in shul. But everybody's embarrassed. You know, they don't want to say, they don't talk anymore. So everybody keeps talking. No, in, in this world, it's better. Forget about the next. In this world, you're diving better. You feel better. It's, it's more geschmack. You bring home a more geschmack team. When you get home, there's no lotion hard at the table. The whole, your whole life starts to take on a positive spin as opposed to a negative spin. Rabbiyan, I thought, oh, I thought for a minute that this was Olam Haba. But now the, now the, the Rochel comes along and tells me it's not Olam Haba, it's Olam Hazah. The more careful we become with our lips, remember, the more that our lives down here in this world will become more positive and more energetic. People will want to be close to us. They'll want to be our friends. We'll make more friends and we'll be able to spread light and we'll be able to talk more Torah, less, less Navishkeit in the right time in the right place. These are some of the things that, uh, some of the few things that we can learn from such a wonderful and of course sometimes painful but wonderful parasha. We have to remember Sometimes things are negative, but there's a time and a place. You don't always just blurt something out just because we see something negative. Not to others, not even to our children, sometimes not even to ourselves. We have to know when's the time and place to work on things. We have to remember that what's in our houses, it's not ours. Hashem gave it to us for us to enjoy, but not to forget to share with others. And lastly, we have to remember this story of the Rochel, that this person who changed his life around and he learned and he taught that he thought his life was going to be worse. His life was so much better. And Rabbiana, the great God, the learns, I thought this was only about Olam Haba. It turns out that even in Olam Hazeh, it's so much better when we learn to speak properly. That through our being careful with, uh, with our speech and how we talk about people, we should only talk positively. We should be Zoycha to have a wonderful Shabbos and hopefully soon we'll uh, be healed from this pandemic and those who need before Shalem is... Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.